think one of the things that I see people really struggle with is just letting their ego go. Um, I have shipped so much stuff that nobody wants, you know, and I've loved it. It looked beautiful. I was so excited, but no one actually wanted it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm Jared Morgan, and today I'm joined by product design extraordinaire and expert, Mr. Michael Saka. Great to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, I warned him before he got here that in this goofy southern country show that we have talking about business, we actually grill out while we're while we're going. So each time we try to I try to pick something a little different. So uh, this is this week we're going to have Koneka sausage. And if you're from the South, everybody knows what Koneka is. You might not know uh, if you're if you if you've not been down here. But I, I've been all over the world. I've had. You know, German sausage, I've had Wisconsin brats, I've had Cajun, I've had them all. This to me is my favorite one. It's the right kind of peppery and spicy, just some great stuff. Um, so we're going to throw that on the grill. Michael, do you ever grill out at your up there? You're you know, in Vancouver, right? I used right? to have a grill and we just moved like two months ago and I haven't picked a new one up, but it's on my to-do list. Okay, well, yeah. maybe this, maybe you'll get inspired here when yeah, you're... This, so this is a... This is one of those pellet grills. You're up in Vancouver, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So a pellet grill. Do you guys have those up there? Maybe. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a pellet grill uh, is almost like an oven. And so the barbecue pur- purists are screaming at me right now for, for even trying <laughs> to say it's a, but it's a, uh, it's a grill that uses an auger and it takes little compressed pellets of wood um, and burns them slowly and you get smoke, but it's a very controlled, you control the temperature, you can control almost like an oven, hmm. um, and you still get the, the fun there. So for those that are watching on YouTube, I hit this with some avocado spray because I'm gonna go a little extra Jared style here and actually hit it with a little seasoning on the outside just to give it a little bit more sweetness there. So that'll be good. Okay, let's let those bad boys go. I'm gonna crank it up to 350. And let's start talking product with our friend Michael. All right. So, going back through your background, you have had quite a career, but there's the common thread of of great product design. So, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started? Sure. Yeah. No. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I got started a long time ago, um, fifteen years or more. Um, but I was, I was living in LA and, uh, I was working at a restaurant and I graduated college. I'd moved out there to work in the music industry cause I had a music business degree. And what I quickly found out was that no one cares if you have a music business degree in the music <laughs> industry because it doesn't actually exist. So, um, so I ended up working at, at restaurants and I, through that, I met a roommate, um, on Craigslist and it was actually myself. Uh, my friend Ethan and Guy Branham, if you know him, a famous comedian. Um, oh, we yeah, all yeah. Lived, yeah. We all lived in this house together. It was when Guy was on uh, really? G4. Yeah. And um, and so Ethan, uh, he was a self-taught engineer, um, probably been coding for a couple of years, but he worked at this credit repair company at the time. And he wrote some software that they basically couldn't fire him because he was the only person who knew 
how it worked in the whole company. And so he'd go into work around 12, he'd leave around four. Um, and, and here I was like slaving away at, at restaurants all day. So I, uh, I decided to start teaching myself how to code. And I, I started on the front end so that I could help him. Um, cause he was, a uh, basically a backend developer. Um, and so through that, I, I learned how to code and I eventually quit, uh, the restaurants and started freelancing, um, kind of right into the fire there and, uh, eventually built an agency. And within three or four years, we were taking on projects from Scholastic, Nike, Kobe Bryant, um, and that yeah, was no kind big of the, the very beginning. Oh, you just of my casually career. throw that in. You just casually <laughs> throw that in the conversation. Like, oh, maybe you've heard of Nike. How do they pronounce that? Nikki? Nike? Oh, yeah. I was so you jumped right to it. I was going to ask you those questions. Like, I, I, you're you're very humble, by the way, because you just sort of glossed over. Oh, I was waiting tables, working at a restaurant. Next thing I know, I'm with Nike. I mean, that's probably quite a story uh, to get to that place. But that is that's incredible. So how 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 on earth do you First of all, how do you get in touch with a Nike or or you know Scholastic or you also worked with like Kobe Bryant and Siemens sure. and all these? How do you how do you even get in touch with people like that before yeah. you can even pitch them on a job? That's a good question. A lot of it's kind of luck. So like um, <laughs> you get one and it starts to roll into the other. So um, we got uh, we we started working with a local Mac. My my wife worked at Mac Cosmetics. They had a problem um locally where they had to like check in uh and do like some timekeeping for employees and so one of the managers was really frustrated he loved technology and so he had us build a prototype of like a calendar app for for them it didn't go anywhere we didn't actually get hired by mac uh, proper um but we put it on our portfolio as something that we had built right and had the mac logo um and then a couple months later uh a guy reached out who was running an agency um, who worked for Kobe Bryant and he needed some help uh, with the WordPress. He saw this Mac app. Um, he was in, kind of impressed and he needed similar functionality for this WordPress site that he's working on for Kobe. Um, wow. And so we kind of got lucky, right? Like Kobe didn't find us, but, um, <laughs> but an agency who had hired an agency who had hired an agency hired us to do some work. But then, we could add that to our portfolio. It's yeah, kind of one more feather, counts. right? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we pushed to the site, it counted. Um, and then, you know, we, we we slowly started to leverage that. We we um, we found our niche in mobile web. So this was like a long time ago. But um, mobile web was kind of upcoming and, and really a bit experimental for companies. Um, so we were building with, it was called Sencha at the time. But it allowed you to deploy to iPhone um, and Android devices and um, and then build like a mobile web uh, site. So that's where we really specialized. And because of that, there was only a handful of people doing this type of work because we really were on the cutting edge. And so when Scholastic said, hey, we need a mobile app, we want it cheap because um, we don't want to pay for two apps. Right. Here's this thing and there's like, you know. 20 developers doing it, they reached out to us and we were able to beat everyone's price. Um, and that's how we won that. So like these weren't heroic um, builds or even big clients sometimes, 
But um, but it was great resume pieces to then build. And through that, you we started working with startups. You know, we, we had other clients, but those big names really helped win those deals when we were up against other other agencies. So, um, you know, even the Scholastic probably wasn't our biggest project by any means, but it was a great brand name that built trust with clients. Um, we were able to build on top of that. And it really was because we were doing something really niche. And it just so happened that they were looking for um, for that service at that time. Yeah. I think, you know, when you're starting a business, credibility is one of the key things you're trying to build. And there's something it's like visceral when you, when someone sees something that is a logo or a name or something that's impressive and already has some, you know, cachet and you would think, well, this, this other person wouldn't be hiring someone if they didn't know what they were doing. That's kind of how you start to build some credibility with my company. Uh, we did an early, very small project, kind of like you're talking about. It wasn't wasn't like a huge, significant deal, but we did a very small project with a wing of the United Nations. Okay, and that was a big deal, right? You started walking. Oh, we got it. United Nations. Some people are like, "Gee whiz!" Like you know. Now, was I ever invited to the United Nations building? No, I was not. Tried, but um, but it was it were it counted, and it was the truth. I mean, we had done we had done some work with that, but you start to build credibility. You know, when we were starting out, no matter how we, we sold to schools and no matter how small the school was, if we did 10 tests, five students, you know, on that on that campus, we, that logo boop, went on the page of places that it was used. And it, it really created a lot of momentum It totally. kind of gave us as an as an unknown startup, you know, out of nowheresville, gave us a lot of credibility. So it's interesting that you've. I can't, it's so crazy though that you, it is a little bit of luck, I guess, but you still have to execute because you went from literally starting up and pitching one and not getting anywhere to the Kobe Bryant team, right? Yeah. I mean, look, there was like three years of misery um, in between <laughs> that two. Right. There always you know, is. I, I worked in uh, credit repair um, for like mm. the first three years. And I don't know, the credit repair is um, just, a, I think the, the CEO of the company that I worked for, he now fled somewhere and is like, Oh God, (laughs) because it all went downhill. Um, Jeez. So yeah. So like, you know, real shady, um, not, (laughs) not work I would put on my resume, but it it paid the bills. And I was kind of in that world for the first couple of years, but, um, was slowly able to find the projects that got me out of it, but you got to start somewhere. And so, Yeah. yeah, there was, there was three years where like, I would never show anyone the work that I did. Um, not too proud of it, but I did learn a lot of the, you know, how to run a business, um, how to, you know, build a website. I, I got to pick up yeah. those skills um, in an environment that was pretty welcoming because not a lot of people were willing to do that work at that time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the, there is that part of the story. We don't like to always... <laughs> tell that part but i mean it everybody everybody has it to get there yeah everybody yeah. has it now when you're in that couple of years are you is this product design thing is it in your mind and you're thinking man i'm going for this this is the thing i just gotta i gotta do all this other stuff now yeah and that but that's the place i'm going or was it like did you have like five things that you were running and you were like well one of these matches is going to start a fire and i'm going to run there yeah i mean the funny thing is so i started out i had some kind of design inclination, right? I'm not good, but I knew that I was better at that than the complex backend code, right? Right. Um, so that's where I, I really focused and tried to hone my work. And even when I was working on these credit repair websites, I was always trying to go the extra mile 
and and not just for them, but really for me, like how far can I push this thing? Um, so yeah, so I always knew that that was if I was going to do anything, that was where I had at least some natural ability. Um, and uh, so yeah, so that that's where I I focused. I focused there. I focused on the front end. Um, but you do everything, and so through that, I mean, if, it, if you pull on the thread a little bit more, um, you also learn how to sell. Um, and mm. you know, because you start an agency and you kind of stop doing the work a lot of the times, and you start becoming the the point of sale. So, um, so that was that was another skill that I picked up that then led into um, crew, which was uh, jumping ahead a little bit, but after yeah. the agency. I joined the team at Crew to be their head of partnerships, which really had nothing to do um, with partner with uh, product development or product design. Interesting. It's uh, that's you know we talk about it all the time on the show. Like it, it doesn't matter if you're if you're the head entrepreneur, if you're the head of an organization, doesn't matter what you specialize in. You better also be good at sales or get mm -hmm. somebody who is right that can actually make these connections. There's a an ocean of people that are like sitting in a dark room building amazing products, but can't actually get it into Absolutely. someone's hand yeah. and yeah. show them that it can solve the problem for them. How yeah. did you, most people are self-taught. Were you also like a self-taught kind of sales guy? Yeah, it was really just survival, right? Is like, mm. you know, I know I want to do this work. I know I want to charge for it and I can, but you know, we, we were two people um, at the time. And so you're both just on the front lines trying to pull in any business you can. And then you have to fulfill the contract and what we eventually did it's a lot easier to find people to do the work than it was to be the face of the company oh, and so we always had to be on the the front lines trying to find the next client um and so that's where yeah you just kind of trial by fire learning how to sell learning what worked um learning how to demo all of that uh all of that it took years but sure. it it became kind of my core <clears throat> skill set actually in that time rather than the design, the development work. Gosh, it, it's, it, this is like a rant that I'll try not to go on too long. But like <laughs> I, selling in a non-sleazy, problem-solving way is the surest bet to take really anybody who's who's has credibility as a person and can, and can talk to someone. It's the quickest way to give them a skill that can pay the bills and really do mm -hmm. a lot of great things in their life. And I just don't understand why more universities don't, you know, they have all these obscure things you can major in, but there's never really a true, you know, enterprise sale track that you can take. So you talk to all the best salespeople and they all started, I mean, you were a music business major, right? And, and mm -hmm. you know, you've got, I've got all these people that majored in all these different things and then later found selling and figured out that if you can just not be a sleazeball, right? And if you can actually listen to what the person wants and try to help them and just have credibility, it's amazing the kind of things that you can get into Absolutely. as a business person if people believe that you're actually trying to solve a problem. It's, yeah. it's a rant that I I get on sometimes. I wish I wish Everything there was more training sales. like that. That's the like yeah. Sales is a job interview. You're selling yourself, and and it's most dating. people don't approach it. Dating is sales, sales. is then dating. Well, what yeah, is exactly. the benefit to the other person? Like we always <laughs> take this like, and so many people make this mistake in job interviews just to you know go there real quick, but they make it about themselves. But sales is yeah. about the person on the other side of the table. So so many people tell us what they want out of the job, but what 
what do they bring to the table? What are they going to do for us? That's the sale component that so many people miss. But yeah, sales is dating. Sales is product pitches internally. It's, um, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the reasons I've been successful as a product leader is because you can pitch your ideas, which is selling to the people on the other side of the table. Um, and it's a skill that so many people I, I think lack. It would be amazing if colleges actually taught the yeah. psychology behind how to communicate your ideas and how to get people on the other side of the table to agree with you. Yeah, everybody has a bad experience with a sales guy at some point, and that's what may I don't want. I don't want to be in sales. Like I don't want to yeah. be like that guy. And you know, it's not. That's not necessarily what what high end sales and, and partnership can be. Right. Uh, I, you know now. We're burying the lead here because we, we've sort of talked about Michael, the, the person. You're now the chief product officer, right? Chief product yep. officer for yep. Dribble. So tell me about Dribble. I, I'm sure most people are familiar with it, but, but talk about Dribble and what you guys bring to the market. Yeah, so Dribble is one of the, the largest portfolio networks for designers. And so it's, it really is where designers um, post their work in order to get discovered, find community, find inspiration. Um, and it, it's almost a work tool for designers around the world to find trends, ideas for to solve the problems that they're working on. Um, but also it's an incredible destination for anyone that is looking to hire a designer, um, you know, for project as small as a logo design, all the way up to, you know, a full-fledged app design um, and even development. And so Dribble is, is really over the last 13 years kind of carved out this um, this space in the market where it's one of the few places um, and few social networks that uh, designers can can go to um, to to find community but also find an opportunity which is really what drives me because I know how hard it is in the early days um, yeah being a freelancer starting a small agency and always having to have that next project lined up um, it's a never-ending source of anxiety so sure. Um, so it's something I, re- I, I relate to, and I, I love seeing people find success um, on there. And it was actually one of the early places that we found work. Man, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, I for mean, when like, you were in the early days. Yeah, we we started posting on on Dribble, and um, and, and that's where clients would find us because they were searching on Dribble for who can do this cool thing, or you know, who's doing design um, in in this way. And uh, and we would get discovered on Dribble. It was a great lead source for us. And now, what a cool career tra- trajectory, right? right? Now, now you're running the whole product. That's amazing. <laughs> it's very uh, cool. Your Dribble page must have been pretty solid, right? If they were willing to hire you. So I mean, I look at it today. I'm like, oh, what were they thinking? But, um, <laughs> in the day, it was pretty good. Yeah, thought it was pretty good. So, you know. A lot of our audience um, are uh, outside of people who like to watch someone do a half-assed job at grilling. <laughs> also, a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Startup people. And, um, you know, when one of the things that we talk about a lot and I, I see entrepreneurs struggle with is they try to find the thing, that, that the problem that they're going to go solve or the thing that they're going to build. And oftentimes, uh, I see people make the mistake of trying to build something and then go find a problem for it. And I think mm. that obviously that's backwards, right? Um, but if you're doing it the correct way, you found a problem and somebody says, man, if I could just have somebody build me something to solve this, um, I would pay for that all day. And so would a lot of people. How do you go from that conversation, which a lot of people can sort of, you know, work and and end up finally having that conversation like, Ooh, there's something. How do you take that conversation and then go off and figure out how to build a great product? Yeah. 
it's a good it's a good question it, a lot of hard learning we were as an agency um we looked at the agencies like uh base camp you know base camp grew out of uh mm -hmm. an earlier agency and meta lab and they were just building these incredible products and so we actually were those people that started building based on technology and then trying to find a customer for it. So we, we learned the hard way. We actually built Brandisty, which is a brand asset management system. But we only built it because we liked the technology behind it, not because we liked the solution. We never really were able to find a product market fit for it. Um, mm. And so we, we wasted 150, 200,000 trying to bring this thing to, to market. Mm. Um, and it, it never really got traction. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but we didn't raise any money. We, we wanted to be bootstrapped. Oh, I think it does sound um, like a lot cash. to a lot of people. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. I mean, uh, you know, startups burn uh, a million yeah. a month these days. But um, but to us, it was a ton of money. It was a huge risk. We thought we knew what we were doing, um, and we didn't. That's actually, you know, why we started the, the podcast, because I realized quickly we were in trouble. Um, and we need to get advice from people and no one would pick up the phone. So, um, Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you started the podcast to get advice, right? <laughs> because like, you know, we had like Heat and Shaw, we had, uh, Mikel oh, wow. Cho from Unsplash on early on. Um, but they weren't going to like take my call, you know, they weren't going to give me 30 minutes right. just to, you know, so, but if I could promote them in some way. Um, they would get on. And so we were just asking them questions about things that we were struggling with because we didn't understand. At the time, we had the tech. Why don't people want it? I don't get <laughs> it, you know? Right. And um, it was a hard lesson to learn. Um, but but truly, we were building because we were excited about the underlying technology, not because of the solution. So um, it, it takes slowing down, right? And there's so many problems that people have. Um but it takes slowing down and finding those those trends. Um, you know, at, at Dribble, we we just built uh, an education business about two years ago. We just um, was coming out of the pandemic. We we saw a need for it because we had we were doing surveys on the site to learn more about who was visiting the site, and we saw that there was a ton of really early designers in their career, but we didn't have a product for them. We didn't really have anything other than the inspiration on the site. Um, for them to actually be a, become a customer of Dribble, we weren't serving them all that well. Um, and so we, we were surveying them. We were kind of learning more about their needs, their interests. And then we just started experimenting with workshops, which were a really light way to do um, just a one-day, three-hour session with a designer. And we got Aaron Draplin, who's like a very famous brand designer, um, to do our first one. And then we got Dan Cedarholm, the founder of Dribble, to do our second on wow. topography. And then we had Dan Maul do one on product design, and it made double the, the other two. Um, and so then we tried again, and you know we we found someone else to do kind of something in the product design space. Um, and again, it just sold out um, way beyond our expectations. So we realized there's something here, but it was through that kind of light experimentation, doing something that was really easy. It didn't take any software. Like it was just on zoom. Um, we oh, used so it was just zoom, just zoom conversations. It was just zoom. Doing. Yeah. It was all like, cause it was during the pandemic. Wow. So it was all just yeah. virtual. Um, and, and we used like Eventbrite to do all the ticketing. So we didn't actually build wow. anything. Um, we marketed it on our social. I mean, Dribble's got a reach. So we, we had a bit of an unfair advantage, but, um, but we didn't commit to building anything until we actually knew what the market wanted. And even within education, did the market want branding? Did they want topography? Did they want, you know, um, 
coloring. They they wanted product design. And we learned that over the course of the year because with product design, they could then get a job because um, there was a hot market for product yeah. designers. So we took that and, um, and then we developed a 16-week product design course. And we went from charging... Um, two ninety nine for the for the one day workshops to three thousand for this sixteen week course. Whoa, okay, and people um, are buying it. The first we we wanted a hundred students the first time. We were like, all right, let's just like if we can get a hundred people in it, we've got something. And hundred was kind of you know it wasn't quite break even. We would have done okay, but it wasn't wasn't huge. Um, we had three hundred fifty students sign up for the first cohort. Whoa. Um, we're now on our third cohort and it's been growing ever since. So we knew that we kind of tapped into something and, but we learned that over the course of honestly a year and a half, um, before we really committed to building something big and putting this course together, like there's 16 hours of video that go along with it. We have a whole mentor network that we match every student with. So they have a, have their own mentor that, that ushers them through the course, um, and all of these things we learned by talking to customers over that year and a half, if we had just been hasty and kind of copied maybe what was in the market um, or just made some assumptions about what we think people want, we would have gotten it wrong because we ran a lot of webinars where like 16 people signed up and we we're like, all right, well, uh, social hmm. media templates is not not where it's at. Um, so that was it was being patient and really learning from the market. We didn't give the students what they necessarily explicitly asked for. But once we understood their problem, we were able to build a curriculum that did solve what they needed, um, which was both kind of a zero to um, to employment opportunity where they were building their portfolio and then connecting them to the hiring market, which we have on Dribble, um, and then connecting them to hiring managers. And with that combination, then we had something that could really scale. And so I, I, to answer your question, it's a bit long-winded, but it takes time and, and you got to be patient. Just because one person has the problem, you got to validate that enough people have it and that you really understand the problem that you're solving. Um, because of, oftentimes we, we kind of run at, oh, I worked at this place, they, they struggled with this, I'm sure everyone else is. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not, you know, right. and, and so, but it takes the, that research work early on to really understand what you're trying to build for. It's like the discipline to listen, right? You know, the, exactly. to, be, yeah. to be, to be, you know, you feel like you got it figured out, but I need to go ask 10 more people. I need to go talk to 15 more organizations, right? To yep. figure out if, you know, and maybe you find little nuances on the problem that you hadn't thought about before. I, I certainly made the mistake early in our career where we assumed that an organization that we were working with, they have this problem. Everybody's going to have this problem. Listen, mm -hmm. we start building a thing and then we take it to other people and they go, yeah, we don't, we don't really have that problem, you know? And yeah. you're like, oh, great, right. Am I, and then that would change how you approach, you know, you're willing to build something for free for an early customer if you think that you can sell it to all sorts of people. If it's only for them, that sort of changes the economics of it, right? And you sort of got to factor that part in. Yep. Um, those are hard lessons that you... You learn. I'm gonna check the sausage really quick. Yeah. Here. Let's make yeah, sure yeah. we got. We're not burning it. I, I will. I wish you could. Oh man. Oh, I wish good. you could smell this. By the way, <laughs> holy cow! Talk about great products. <laughs> I'm gonna flip it over because I did my pet peeve, which is uh, only season one side. So it's a little late in the grilling process to season the other side. But you know who's? Just don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing was really interesting. What you were just talking about is 
you know, I spent a lot of my career working in and around higher education. And mm. I think um, these alternative paths for people to get skills are so interesting to me. And I really think that um, you just see a lot of those things popping up. I think in 20 years, you're going to see a, a, a cultural shift in the way people think about college and the way people think about yeah. what, what the step that I take after I get out of high school and I'm ready to, I'm ready to start a career, you know, actually finding places where I learn a skill can oftentimes be so much more valuable than sort of meandering through college with, um, you know, no real plan and racking up a bunch of student loan debt. Um, so I think it's really interesting that Dribble found out that there's a, a niche for that and that people on their platform had another need that was way outside of their core product, but that they had the credibility to solve. Yeah. Well, I think to your point, colleges, I feel like the promise of college used to be you graduate and you get a better job than you would without it. But we slowly, the colleges in the market drifted apart where colleges were teaching, like even in, in computer science, they're, they're still teaching, you know, languages that aren't uh, relevant to the to the market today. You know, right. you're not learning JavaScript, you're learning Java. Um, and, right. and same with design, like you're, you're learning kind of 1970s, 1980s philosophy in a lot of these courses, but you're not learning that the fast paced product design that a company like Google, Shopify, Spotify, that they're looking for in, in, in someone to come work for them. And, and I think that that drift from the market with the increase in price, I know I graduated with this music business degree that was sold to me as if I was going to go work in the music industry. But when I got out to L.A., no one gave it. You know, <laughs> they didn't care. Right. right. Like I was walking into these offices and they're like, oh, so you have a music business degree. What's how, that? How cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, cool, man. Uh, so you want to make me coffee? Like it got me absolutely nowhere. Right. Um, and and. And and that's the drift from the college away from what the market actually needs. And I think that's the the space that these kind of boot camps they're trying to fill is how do I actually get someone um, to be employable faster or upskilled into mm. the next stage of their career faster um, than taking four years where you have to learn earth science and philosophy and you know whatever else um, for the first two that really aren't transferable skills because like to your point we're not learning uh, you know sales we're not learning how to do taxes we're not right. learning things that you actually need so then you need to get that education elsewhere i, I spoke at a design school um a couple years ago and all the students there there was you know 20 that came up to me after and they were just like what do i do now I graduated, but oh, like, I no. can't get any interviews, you know? Yeah. And, and it was because the school wasn't connected to the end result the students wanted. Like they don't want to learn design. They want to go work. You right. know, they want to go earn a living. They want to pay their rent. Um, they want to do something exciting. And so I, the difference with these boot camps is a lot of them are focusing on that graduate experience that how do I get people into a career? And that was one of the the, the secret sauces of Dribble is that we have over, you know, 60,000 of the top companies have hired with us. Um, we, have, we have one of the largest job boards for designers and, and search products. And so we are able to get them directly in front of those hiring managers at all of the Fortune 500 companies um, to at least get them that first opportunity. And that's something that the schools aren't able to do. And yet the schools are commanding 
um, you know, twenty, thirty thousand yeah. dollars. I worked at a design institute that was ninety thousand um, as a as a teacher, right? And so, if you can't get someone an opportunity after that, I think they're failing, and I think that's kind of what yeah. we're seeing in the market. I think you. I mean, I don't know that you're ever going to take the traditional sort of curriculum model of a of a higher education institute and be able to apply it to an industry like technology and product and technology products and be able to keep up because those things move so quickly. I mean, how, if you think of a programming language or a technique, a product design, how long is that considered mainstream? Five, six years before there's something nipping at its heels. So think about that for a second. If let's just say it's five years, it takes probably, it would take a school maybe 18 months if they're really on it, 18 months to recognize the trend, then at probably a minimum of two years to really develop a curriculum, get it sort of blessed by all the hierarchy, set it up, <laughs> enroll some students in it. Now you're three-ish, three and a half years in, you train maybe one or two waves of students through on this new product. And then that product technology or that technique has already kind of fallen out of favor. Yeah. So you you almost have to rethink the way you're going to identify trends and teach them to people. You can't teach it in such a linear fashion like you can teach, say, algebra or biology, because those those things are not changing nearly as rapidly as technology and, and product design is. And I don't know if anybody's having that conversation, but I think the prevalence of, say, a dribble boot camp, you know, all these other there's YouTube people teach themselves all sorts of things just yep. watching YouTube. Um, I think the prevalence of that is going to continue to force those conversations at universities where they can't teach everything the same way that they teach, you know, they've always taught it. The rigor has got to go. I mean, we went to Jesse Showalter, who has a YouTube channel, um, is an incredible facilitator. He's working at Apple. And so Mm. he's like in the field at one of these companies. He knows what their expectations are, what they're looking for. And we had him build the curriculum as a side project. Wow. Um, it took him, you know, a couple weekends to, to, to put together all the material, probably a little bit more. But um, but that's that's the material that we were able to bring to the market within three months versus, you know, to your point, two years to get it, you know, it approved and accredited and signed off by by a bureaucratic body. Um, you have to move faster than that. And, yeah. Um, and, and you have to tap into people not who have retired from industry, but are still in industry. I think there's elements of the process that they that don't move as fast, though, like, you know, teaching someone problem solving techniques, teaching someone project management, teaching someone, yep. um, you know, how to how to like build a, a correct uh, just a product management process and and all of that, you know, scrum techniques and all these different te- techniques that those aren't moving nearly as fast as program languages. It's almost like you need to teach like the, the building blocks of being a good, you know, having a good career in the technology field. You can teach those sort of linearly and slowly, but as far as like the tool that you're going to reach into your tool bag and use to build something, they're going to teach that a whole different way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the last thing I kind of want to ask you, this is actually a great conversation, by the way. So thank you for humoring us on our on our grilling podcast here to talk product. Um, you know, if you're you, you built companies, you've you've gone from, you know, having great products to, to building a great company. And that's really what that dribble story is, which you were just talking about, you know, used to be dribble was a great product now, but a company that can pivot and see that people need skills and build them something for that is mm. evidence that they've become a, a great company, you know, 
And so how do you, if you're talking to someone who is starting out, they're at that early stage like you were when you were still working a day job and having this thing on the side, how do you, what advice can you give to that person so that they know that the product that they are building or the thing that they're trying to create is the most likely thing to solve the problem that they're mm. going for? What is the advice that you can give somebody in that stage? I think one of the things that I see people really struggle with is just letting their ego go. Mm. Um, I have shipped so much stuff that nobody wants, you know, <laughs> and I've loved it. It looked beautiful. I was so excited, but no one actually wanted it. And I see a lot of people make the mistake where they just double down because they hear the Steve Jobs story. Yes. You know, where, or, or like the, the you know, first they uh, laugh at you, then they hate you, and then you change the world or yeah. something, right? Like um, they, they hear these like mantras, but I don't believe in reality those things actually happen. There is a thing with conviction, but I see so many people get lost in that conviction um, where they, they waste years following a path of, um, to your point, maybe it's just a small TAM. Like the, the total addressable market is just not there. Right. Maybe their solution is a feature, not a, not a product, right? Where it's just kind of a bolt on. But if you're going to get someone to switch, it ne your, your solution as a whole needs to be 10 times better than what they're using because the cost of switching, the cognitive load of learning something new is too much for people. And people hate change. We used to change a button color on Dribbble and Twitter would go nuts. <laughs> people just didn't like change. Right. They just didn't want it to be different. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's staying malleable. Like you have to stay convicted that you're solving a problem and that you're the best person to solve it. But what that solution is, you need to be able to take those outside inputs to evolve quickly. And things are moving faster than ever. Like you look at, I mean, the crypto market fell apart, but you look at like Web3 and the speed at which yeah. they're, they're able to move where like these financial companies are being built in a weekend and then they're, they're, they're taking in, you know, they're holding billions of dollars in in asset value um, with a weekend project. That scale and speed is is the world that we live in. And so, but to be able to do that and to do it effectively and to do it long term, we have to be malleable and kind of let go of our ego and be like, I can be wrong, you know. And sometimes it takes just getting beat over the head a couple times. But when you get beat over the head, you have to listen, right? You have to actually, all right. Let me consider another avenue. Maybe this customer is right. Um, you know, maybe their their needs are different um, than the solution that I have. Let me see how I can modify. Um, and if we can do that, you're able to get more cycles under you, so that you can get to that big solution a lot faster. Um, and you know, even that. Like with education, it took us a while. But if we had just said, we know that education is this, we may still be there with a very small business today um, trying to plug along pitching products that people don't really want or education solutions that they don't want. Yeah, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, I, I think the Steve Jobs story, like you mentioned, has has while it inspires people to get into entrepreneurship, I think it sends people in the wrong direction so often. And if you actually... Yeah read Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs, there was a, a portion of that biography where he talked about the fallacy of the people around Steve Jobs 
was mm. that they would also think they were Steve Jobs and that they were always right and they would try to <laughs> right. act like him and they would just fail miserably right in a big smoking heap because they weren't listening to the clues around them that they were headed in the wrong direction. And even Steve Jobs wasn't always Steve Jobs. Like he totally. Go look at the next computer chapter of his career. The only reason that thing even got off the ground was because of his name. It was like way ahead of its time and it didn't have a product market fit and it just all all of that stuff clouds yeah. people when you see when you only look at his career and you see the iPod and the iPad and the iPhone and iTunes and the Mac you miss all this other crap the Lisa right all mm -hmm. these other things that he built in his career that just didn't work and his ego made him keep driving in the wrong direction yeah. you're much better you have a much higher chance of uh, success if you kind of iterate on things I think and you say you know you build something's best you can do we, we call it you know, make pro progress over perfection, right? Absolutely. And so, yeah. you know, go out, put something out, get some get some feedback, iterate on it, put it out, get some feedback, and just keep climbing like that. And you're so much further along than people uh, who just sort of sit back and try to hit a home run in their first swing. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And so, yeah, for 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 those starting out, sometimes it takes years to learn that. The faster you can learn it, I think the more successful you'll be. Yeah, it's about are you are you trying to I used to have this saying when I was trying to get people to understand how to think about a problem like you've got to prioritize winning over being right. You know, yeah, I, I, I put it. a team of people around me that were way smarter than me. And I was as long as we won because I won, too. I was on the winning mm -hmm. team. I didn't care if I was the one that came up with the right answer. You know, I get to look smart by proxy because all these other smart people are coming up with solutions. But if you get if you get the Steve Jobs complex and you got to be the guy in the turtleneck holding up the world changer, uh, man, you're just going to, you're going to miss a lot of data around you. Yeah. 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 Well, we could do this all day. Let's take one last, <laughs> let's take one last chance. Have you ever had Connect the Sausage, by the way? Michael? No, I have not. I have not. Now I'm going to okay. have to go try to find it. Now we're, now we're talking. So we're getting done. I think we need to get these bad boys off. Um, Michael, where can people find you? online if they want to get more of this brilliance on product design sure sure um i'm on twitter at michael Sacco. we do a weekly podcast which is probably the best way um on rocketship.fm um and uh you know we're telling product stories every week there my host uh, mike belsito who runs industry the product conference uh joins me each week so yeah that's probably the best way do you ever grill on the podcast that's what i want to know <laughs> Do you ever? We do not. We do not. <laughs> well, that's one thing I can help with if you ever get into that. Michael, it was so nice having you on the show. You're such a brilliant talent. I thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners, and we hope to see you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been great. Take care right. now. Yeah, you too.